Father, thank you for another Lord's Day. These are such good days for us, and we pray that you would help us to profit from all that takes place on this Lord's Day. We pray for every Sunday school class. Bless every teacher from the little children uh, to both of the adult classes. We bless the time that we spend together as we uh, come near to concluding our parenting class. Will you help us? Will you teach us? And more than anything, we pray that you would save our children, save our, our grandchildren, save our teenagers. And we pray that you would equip us as parents and even as grandparents to serve you well in this capacity. May we be good stewards of the children you've given us. So help us now make these moments profitable, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I've got up here most of the handouts we've done this year, case, I mean this, this year, in the last uh, seven weeks. Uh, if you're missing one, you can uh, help yourself here. The one down on this step is a new one for today, so help yourself to that. We're out of Proverbs books. I'll print more of them. And uh, we've got one more class next Sunday, and that's going to be totally Q&A. Okay? I reserve the right to refuse to answer any question you ask, but ask away. And if you'd like to uh, email me your questions ahead of time, which would be great, send them to this email address, timoak49 at gmail.com. And uh, I can get some of those prepared ahead of time. So, this is our last actual lecture on, on parenting. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for being a good class. You're an easy group to teach. Um, we've called, called this gospel parenting for a reason, and it's simply that the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ saves sinners by his life, death, and resurrection. That is good news for us as parents. It is sin that messes up our parenting, right? It is sin that messes up our children. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be any faster to say it's sin that messes up our kids than we are to say it's sin that messes up our parenting. And if sin is the problem, then we should be coming back to the truth of the gospel every single day. That's our hope. For parenting, that's our hope in life. It's our hope in death. Um, so, today we come to the subject of teaching manners to our children. Hello? <laughs> really? we got to teach manners to our kids? Yes, we have to teach manners to our kids. And I'm going to make a disclaimer at the front end. Okay? I've not been sitting around with binoculars watching your children to see how bad their manners are. And that's, that's how I got all that information. That's how I've constructed this lecture because I've been watching your kids. Not true. Okay? Um, really not true. Um, I, there, there's more I can say about that. Just please understand that, that nobody needs to be going down a guilt trip because I'm having a class on manners. Okay? I teach it to every class. We do on parenting. Rudeness, inconsiderateness, ingratitude, self-centeredness, selfishness, and the like abound in our culture. 
On the other hand, table manners, where have those gone? Considerateness and general etiquette are in short supply in our culture. Um, you, you see it in the grocery store, you see it at Walmart, you see it in restaurants, you see it at public events. And I don't think it's because we're teaching our children to be rude. We don't sit down and teach them how to lie. We don't sit down and teach them how to cheat. We've talked about that before. We don't sit down and teach them how to be rude. It's just a lack of teaching good manners. And it's one of the fruits of that view of parenting that refuses to restrain a child's behavior. Let them express themselves. Don't thwart their little personalities. And what you generally get with that view of parenting is rude, inconsiderate, self-centered children. That's the way they come out of the womb. Matters have to be taught and lived out before our children. So how do we do that? Is it really necessary? Is this just a throwback to an older generation? That's my mom. And the cute one winking is not my brother. He's the stoic. I'm the cute guy winking. And that didn't last very long, okay. <laughs> um, is, is there really a biblical justification for teaching men or sore children? Or is this just something old-fashioned that was good for a previous generation? Well, I'll, let me talk for a little bit about the biblical warrant for teaching manners to our children. Why should we? Have you ever thought about that? There's a biblical warrant for teaching manners to our children. The general teaching of the Bible on character traits ought to clearly establish this for us. So much of manners, of being courteous, polite, is connected to some very basic principles of character, which we should always be teaching our children, whether they're converted or not. Okay, I hope we understand that. We teach our unconverted children what we teach our converted children. And it doesn't make them little hypocrites. It just helps them understand that God's law applies to everybody, converted or not. Do the unconverted need to tell the truth? Yes or no? Of course they do. So we teach our unconverted children manners, as well as our converted children. Because these character traits are in the Bible, we should be applying them to our children. And the upshot of that should be mannerly children. Um, the character traits I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a separate list of manners later. But these character traits are the, are the ground out of which manners grow. Okay, so uh, let me just list a few general character traits that, that ought to produce good manners in our children. I would, put, I would put consideration of others at the top of the list. Um, Matthew twenty two thirty nine. Somebody came to Jesus, which is the great commandment. The greatest commandment, he said, love God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the ground. Love for neighbor is the ground out of which Good manners grow. You see, you see the connection? Is it, is it loving your neighbor to be rude and selfish and self-centered and unkind? No. Listen to the familiar words of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. The ESV there says is not rude. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, 
does not take into account a wrong suffered. So that, the, the characteristic of love, and we ought to teach our children to love one another and to love their neighbors. That love is patient and kind and not rude and so on and so on. That's the soil out of which good manners grow. That, that text in 1 Corinthians 13 has manners written all over it. Or Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Isn't so much of poor manners selfishness? Yeah. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's you let them go first. You give them the first piece. And you, see how, you see how these basic character traits are the ground out of which manners grow. So um, Romans 15, 2. Uh, each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. There are other character traits that bear on manners. Think of kindness, for example. Uh, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Uh, or Colossians 3.12, where several things are mentioned. Uh, So as those who've been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All of those basic character traits in Scripture uh, tell us that we ought to be teaching manners to our children. But in addition to the general teaching of the Bible, and this is fascinating to me, there's the compelling example of Jesus as a child. And I'm calling it the compelling example of Jesus as a child. Let me show you what I mean. In the child, Matthew, uh, Luke 2.40, the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. The information about Jesus' childhood is brief because the focal point of, his, of, of Jesus' coming is not his boyhood, but his saviorhood. Okay, that's the focal point. But that doesn't mean that his boyhood was not important. Although the information is brief, it's instructive. This text, Luke 2.40, summarizes the first 12 years of his life. He grew. He increased. He became strong. He increased in wisdom. How do you explain that? Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, as a boy, Increased in wisdom. We, uh, we got to take his humanity seriously. We take his divinity seriously. We got to take his humanity seriously. He increased in wisdom. What does that mean? He was taught. And he learned. That's the first 12 years of his life. From age 12 to the next 18 plus years are described in this text. And he went down with them, Joseph and Mary, and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus increased in favor with men. Now, there's so much here that we don't understand. 
Paul says, great is the mystery of godliness, but this much is crystal clear. As Jesus passed from boyhood to adolescence, and from adolescence to young manhood, and from young manhood to adulthood, he grew in favor with God and men. This text is on the heels of Jesus in the temple with the doctors and the teachers, and he's answering their questions, and he's asking them questions. And that happened when he was 12. And then he went home with his parents to Nazareth and he grew in favor with God and with men. God the Father was well pleased with him. He approved of his son. He approved of his growth and development. God approved of his submission. He approved of his willing obedience to the Father's will. But Jesus was also increasing in favor with men. And while the text gives us no details, we assume that his conduct... That his, that his contact with men was the normal contact a boy growing up in Nazareth would have with the community. He worked in his father's carpenter shop. How not? He dealt with customers. He knew how to work. He played, he played with other children. He went to the synagogue. He worked in the garden. He tended the sheep or the chickens or the goats. The richness of his teaching as an adult reflects a childhood and a young manhood full of life and experience. And this is also supported by the statement that he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Let's not confine that just to adult temptation. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. So he faced childhood temptations and he resisted them. And the Bible tells us that during that period of development into a man, he grew in favor with men. The word favor is the same word that the New Testament uses for grace. He became a gracious young man. He was marked by those graces that made him attractive and pleasing. People enjoyed his presence. He was never a nuisance. He was never obnoxious or rude. He was polite and mannerly. Whatever the socially acceptable customs of his day were, he knew them and he practiced them. He had the admiration of his community. He grew in favor with men. We got we to take that statement. He grew in favor. We got to fill that full. Okay? What does that mean? Something. It means he understood what was acceptable and what was not acceptable. And he grew in those graces that made him a pleasing young man. Now, you don't get that if you're rude and self-centered and obnoxious. And please remember that this is said of Jesus precisely at the point when so many young people seem to lose all sense of politeness and become so fixed on themselves. He was on the brink of full-blown adolescence. He was about to enter his teen years. And when young people... Those teen years are when young people are typically self-conscious and self-centered and nearly oblivious to what is socially acceptable. Have any, how many of you guys have teenagers? Really? Stick them way up again, teenagers. Okay. How, how have your teenagers done with Bursting through the gates of adolescence. 
They've mastered it. Just piece of cake, right? Have they ever been rude? Well, I mean, except for the Goebel children. Okay. This is the this is the period of life that is so challenging for kids. And Jesus, on the brink of that period of life, the Bible says he kept increasing in favor with men. Wow. He practiced good manners. He was polite. He was kind. He was thoughtful. He was considerate. He was gracious. He was grateful. He was helpful. He was a delightful young man. And if as our children grow, there's not a corresponding growth in that kind of favor, then we're, 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 we're missing the boat somewhere. And sometimes it's really easy to make excuses for our children. Isn't it? Isn't that cute? He's this all boy. You know, you, you rip that slingshot at one of your friends. Oh, he's, he didn't mean it. He's just all boy. She needs her nap. Well, at least he says just what he thinks. She doesn't hide her feelings. Any or, any or all of those things may be true at any given time, but none of them should be ever called up as a cover for bad manners. <clears throat> Let me make one more point with regard to the example of Jesus. We may be tempted to dismiss it because Jesus was the Son of God. And he was perfect. And so what else do you expect but the very best of manners? Our kids are far from perfect. We cannot expect the same. It is true that Jesus was perfect even as a boy. It's true that from the moment of his conception on, he was fully God as well as fully man. But if we take his temptation in the wilderness as representative of his temptations generally, then he relied on the very same things we have at our disposal for victory over that temptation. He was led by the Spirit up into the wilderness, and he quoted the Bible to the devil. He had the Holy Spirit, and he had the Bible. We got the same things. That means when he was a boy, good manners did not simply come to him because he was the Son of God in the flesh. They came to him because his parents taught him what good manners were. And he obeyed all the time. Good manners came to him because he learned them, because he practiced them, as he rendered sweet submission to his parents. They came to him as he refused to give in to the rude and obnoxious behavior of his brothers and sisters and playmates. They came to him as he prayed for grace to grow in a manner that would please his Father in heaven. So Jesus is the example for our children. He is also the Savior for our children. And if we're faithful in holding a high standard of behavior for our children, they may well come to us from time to time expressing their frustration that they just can't do it, especially if we hold out the example of Jesus to them. But dad, mom, I'm not Jesus, okay? Back off. I can't be like him. I'm not perfect. If those moments ever come, seize them as prime gospel opportunities. No, sweetheart, you can't do this on your own. No, you're not Jesus. That's why you need Jesus, not just as your example, but as your savior. And only he can change your heart so that you really do want to be like him. Only he can forgive your sins. Only he can forgive your rudeness, your selfishness, and your pride. Only Jesus can save you from your sins that will take you to hell. That's why you need to trust him. Not just for good manners. 
but to be saved from the wrath to come. Now, how do we <clears throat> how do we teach manners to our children? Jesus is the example for our children. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. He's also the Savior for our children. But now, how do we teach manners to our children? The biblical process. This is not rocket science, okay? You teach, exemplify, and correct. Isn't this how Paul often dealt with the churches to which he wrote? He taught them. He exemplified what he was teaching them. And he would correct them when they fell short. We must do the same with our children. We teach them. We, we display the manners we're trying to teach them. And we correct them when they fail. Describe the manners you're looking for in your children. Explain what they are, what they look like, how they work. Practice them in front of your children. If you never say please and thank you, your children will be much less inclined to say please and thank you. It's the old curse of a double standard. You can do some role playing here and set up situations your children will encounter. And you practice that at home. And as you practice, you'll have opportunity to correct their mistakes. And then you practice when you have friends over or you practice briefly at church when your children are around other people. There are all sorts of ways you can help your children learn manners, but the critical thing is that manners are on your radar to be taught to your children. Plan it. Think about it. Make a list of the manners you want your children to to exemplify. And then set about teaching them. All right, what manners do we teach our children? The Bible doesn't give us a list of specific behaviors under the general category of manners, but it does lay down general principles ought to influence and inform our decisions about what manners we teach our children. I'm going to suggest several. This will not be an exhaustive list. Um, They come from my own observations over the last 30 plus years being involved with kids every day at school. Uh, They come from the book of Proverbs over and over again. They come from some of the obvious examples of behavior set before us in the Bible. I have not read Promise, Cross My Heart and Hope to Die. I did not read Emily Post or Amy Vanderbilt. Okay? This is just general observation from the principles of Scripture and and what I've observed in children. None of your children, of course. Here's my suggested list. It's not exhaustive, and it's in no particular order, but I would say respect for adults needs to be taught to our kids. It doesn't come automatically. Jesus, as a 12-year-old, was conversing comfortably with the doctors in the temple. My point here is simply that he acknowledged the presence of adults and interacted with them. How many of you have seen kids just ignore adults? It happens all the time. You're you're passing in the hall, and the adult says, Hey, Johnny. That's pretty good, actually, if you get a... But they don't look them in the eye. They don't respond. That's rude. Respect for adults. Teach your children to look adults in the eye and speak to them. I'm not laying this down as an absolute requirement, okay? Y'all hear me say that? But yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, no, man, are a whole lot better than, yep, nope. Now, in some contexts... Some people take yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, sir, no, ma'am, as smart aleck responses. So be mindful of the context you're in, okay? 
But teach your children respect for adults. Teach them to look adults in the eye. Teach your kids, I beg you, teach your kids to shake hands with an adult. Okay? My dad taught me to shake hands. And it just crawls all over me when I get a fish, when I go to shake somebody's hand. I, yeah, oh man. Teach your, teach your kids what a firm grip is. Teach them to look, look Mr. So-and-so in the eye and say, how you doing, Mr. Jones? I'm really pleased to see you today. Respect for adults. Like that, that comes in all kinds of packages. Um, respect for authority. There's a, there's a handout up here. Some of you took it. I have more by John Piper on parents require obedience of your children. Read it. Please. Please read it. If, you don't, if, if I run out, I'll, I'll print more of them. Respect for authority. The groundwork for this is laid in the fifth commandment where children are required to honor their parents. The principle in that commandment is respect for authority, and it comes in many packages. Sunday school teachers, school teachers, police officers, government officials, school volunteers, or just other adults. And while we need to teach our kids to be wary of strangers, we must not go so far as to teach them to ignore the adults they know and trust. Respect for authority, respect for property. I have mine here, especially other people's property, but that will seldom come if kids have not learned to respect their own property. And I'm talking just about being good stewards of the stuff that they have. Okay? I've, I've watched for years how kids here at school took care of their books and their, and their coats and gloves and hats. And wow. You know why the table is so full of lost and found? Because kids don't take care of their stuff. Okay, everybody's going to forget something now and then. I get it. That's fine. I forget. I forgot my bottle of water this morning. I had to call my wife and say, dear, would you please bring me a bottle of water? So I'm not talking about the, just the little forgetfulness that we all struggle with. But teach, our, teach your children respect for property. Uh, there, there's something missing in their understanding of the value of property. And the point is not that we teach them to be greedy or selfish, but simply to be good stewards of what God has given us. Doesn't everything come from God's hand? Hasn't he given us all things richly to enjoy? Do we tweet it like trash? No. Take care of your stuff. And this spills over into how children treat other people's property. Have you ever watched a child go into a home where he's never been before? And he owns the entire place. He's bouncing on the sofa. He's grabbing everything within reach. He's, well, hello? I've watched children step over the same piece of paper on the floor a hundred times, walk by the wastebasket that has been missed, or go by the water faucet that's still running without ever thought that they should help take care of that. Respect for property. They've not been taught respect for other people's property. And, and that does not help them increase in favor with men. Respect for property. Considerate, general considerateness. We talked about this a little bit earlier. It has many applications. Cell phone etiquette. Have we taught our children that the people in front of them are more important than the device in their hand? 
Do they really get that? And we taught our kids that even when they're legitimately using a device, if mom or dad or someone speaks to them, that's way more important than this thing in their hands. That's live, real interaction face-to-face. Do we teach our kids to say excuse me when they walk between other people who are talking? Saying excuse me when you must interrupt someone else and it's really important. Excuse me, Dad. Saying excuse me when you bump into someone. I'm sorry. Helping to pick up what someone dropped when you bumped into them. Holding the door for someone with their hands full. Or just holding the door for somebody to get through. You know, you know what kids do? It's like a contest. When they're coming in the building after recess, you know, the doors automatically close. So somebody gets the door open and it's wide open and then it's a contest to see how many can slip through that door before it closes. And so the door, it's closing, it's closing, it's closing, it's closing and whoosh, I made it. And the kid behind you goes, bam, into the door. Wow. So why do they do that? Because they're kids. And because we've not taught them to hold the door and to let other people go first. Letting somebody else have the first turn, the first piece, the first place. Picking up after yourself so mom doesn't have to. Taking out the trash without being asked. Good table manners. Chew with your mouth closed, please. Don't play with your food. Ask if you may be excused. Thank your mom or the hostess for the meal. Gratitude. Mr. O? Yes. There is an exception on that holding the door at school. Okay. You can't open the door for adults at school. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. We teach our kids here at school. If, if an adult, even your mom, comes to the door comes to the outside door, we teach them, don't open that for anybody because there's a guy around the corner with a gun aimed at your mom's head saying, get me in here. Okay? We don't tell them that part. No, we don't tell them that part. (laughs) Thank you. That's why we tell them, don't open the door for anybody because that could happen, but we don't tell them why. That's a different category, but thank you. Um, Gratitude. Do we teach our children how to say thank you? Uh, if, If ever this was true, it's true in this age and generation. Our society is marked by entitlement. I deserve this. But Paul describes a God forsaken generation as ungrateful in Romans 1. So we need to teach our kids to say thank you. That's not, their, that's not the default setting in our kids. Um, do they thank their Sunday school teachers? Do they thank their older brothers and sisters for watching them? Probably never. <laughs> school teachers for helping them learn. Thank you to the babysitter. Thank you to the grocery store clerk. Thank you to the bag boy. Thank you to the bank teller for the sucker. Thank you to the waitress. How many of you thank the waitress for the water? That's what they get paid to do. I, I, I don't care. That was a kindness. They filled your water up. Thank you. Do your kids see you doing that? 
to the person who held the door, to the parents for getting them to practice or preparing their meals or washing their clothes. I'll bet it was one of the most frequent things Jesus said. Thank you. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. Everything is grace, isn't it? What do you have that you not received? So thank you ought to be on our lips all the time. I'm not sure if this is the best place to put this, but we need to teach our boys to be gentlemen and our girls to be ladies. And I take this from a number of things in Scripture. The order and design of creation. Adam was made for his work in the world. Eve was made to be Adam's helper. And that has many, many, many applications. The New Testament statements about husbands and wives. Husbands are to love, nourish, and cherish their wives. And to live with them as a weaker vessel. To live with them in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel. Giving her honor as a fellow of the grace of life. Women are to demonstrate chaste and respectful behavior, adorning themselves outwardly with modest and discreet apparel, and inwardly with a gentle and quiet spirit which is present in the sight of God. Now, what I take away from those principles that have to do with adults in terms of courtesy and manners is that we need to teach our boys how to be gentlemen and our girls how to be ladies. You don't learn gentlemanly and ladylike behavior after you say, I do. So when do we start teaching them gentlemanly and ladylike behavior? When they're children. So we teach our girls how to dress, how to choose their clothes, how to sit, how to walk. Doesn't, doesn't this sound absolutely out of place in our culture? It does. But it's not out of place in the culture of the Bible. And I don't mean first century, okay? We need to teach our boys, our, sorry, our girls, how to relate to boys without flirting or being aggressive. We need to teach them how to be attractive without being seductive. We need to teach them how to think about beauty, how to sweetly submit to authority, how to be a godly wife, how to think about their home and having children, how to pursue an education that won't derail them from their primary calling. And we have to teach those things to our girls in a world that despises most of that. And we teach our boys how to work hard and make decisions, how to be leaders and protectors and providers, how to hold the door for a lady, how to let them go first, how to give up your seat, how to defend their honor. That's not male chauvinism. Period. It's being a gentleman. How to shake hands firmly and look someone in the eye. How to pursue a calling without that calling becoming a God. How to be the best you can be without being proud. How to manage time and money. How to get to know a young lady without violating her honor or defiling his own heart. And we have to teach that to our boys in a world that despises most of that. I'm telling you, manners are worth fighting for. And if we work at developing, then in, developing manners in our children, it will serve them well when they are truly converted. Their mannerly behavior will genuinely adorn the gospel. 
and it will be a testimony to the beauty of the gospel in an increasingly ugly world. So teach manners to your children. There are so many more things that can be said about parenting. It's a critical piece of our calling to adorn the gospel. It's a critical piece of our calling to pass the truth on to the next generation. It's a critical piece in the conversion of our children. And critical to the fulfillment of that calling to parent well is the grace of God. We desperately need the grace of God to parent well. And I hope you'll not soon forget the encouragement the Scripture sold out to us in the holy work of parenting. I hope you'll never lose sight of the sufficiency of the Scriptures to guide you in the challenges of parenting. And I especially hope that you'll never forget the joys of raising children. You need to remember that when you're in the trenches. <laughs> and you're in one of those seasons where you've said no a thousand times in the last two days. And you need to remember that when you get a report about your child that just breaks your heart. You need to remember that when your children really mess up. And uh, they will. They, w- they just will. You need to remember the big picture and that sometimes all you can do is leave your children to God and know that God puts your tears into his bottle. But know that there are joys in the ring of children that do not come with anything else. We have friends from back in South Carolina who chose not to have children. And I often think of them. And I think, you guys don't know what you have missed. You don't understand. You, 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 you tore this huge segment of your lives out and just threw it away. There are all the anticipated joys that come with all the firsts, the first breath, the first cry, the first touch, the first look, the first grasp, the first word, the first step, the first hug, the first real kiss. 90% of what you call first kisses are not first kisses. They're just slobbering on your face. The first sentence, the first real pair of shoes, the first Bible verse learned, the first bicycle ride, the first day of school, the first report card, the first class project, the first glimmers of faith, first, 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 first. And as you watch them grow through these and many other firsts, you're just amazed that this child came from you. And you're filled with awe that God would entrust such a precious gift to you. You rejoice when their own convictions begin to form and your heart swells with thanksgiving when God draws them to himself. There are joys that come as you watch them grow from toddlers into men and women. And you wonder sometimes how it all happened. And while there are a thousand things you wish you had done differently, a thousand things you wish you had known, a thousand mistakes you wish you hadn't said, a thousand words you wish you could take back, Yet there is still a deep satisfaction and delight that is like no other when you look upon your son or your daughter standing before you suddenly grown up. And that will be tomorrow. And you wouldn't trade it for anything. The sleepless nights, the gut-wrenching decisions, the times when it was so hard to say no. 
the beaches you died on, the lines you drew, the late night discussions, the callous knees, or a price you'd gladly pay again for the joy of parenting. Yes, it's hard. But yes, the grace of God is sufficient to guide you through the maze of parenting and to come out on the other side and you see your children. May God bless all of your parenting for the good of your children, for the good of your own soul, and for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for all sufficient grace. We are amazed that you didn't design angels to be tutors for our children. They would do such a better job. We're amazed that you gave that responsibility to us. Forgive our countless failures. Forgive the times that we've grown weary. Forgive those moments of utter, complete frustration. And help us. Help us to not grow weary in well-doing. Help us to keep our hand to the plow. Help us to press on when it's hard. And help us, by your grace, to raise our children well. And we can only do that by your grace, so give us all the grace we need. And give grace to our children. And we pray again as we prayed so often. For the best blessing of all with our children that you would save them. Show them their own hearts. Show them their sin. Show them the Savior. May they see him in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come next week with your questions.